Welcome back to Zillennials Podcast. Today on Zillennials, we have a book club episode. For this one, we read Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Leanne, but I think this was her debut novel. I agree with that. I did read a little bit about her. Um, Her second novel actually just came out in January. It released on the 30th, and she was long listed for this book for the Booker Prize, which I feel like is kind of impressive. That is pretty impressive, especially for like a debut novel. I'm like, ooh, way to go. But it's so funny. Sorry, I'm going to do a little aside here, but I think it's so funny that you said it released on January 30th because when I read this in our outline, I got very excited and I was like, I need to see if it's out. And then I looked and I was like, wait a minute, I don't think it's been released yet. I think it might be this January 30th because we're recording this on like January 27th. So I definitely was tricked. Well, I tried to figure out the timing when I wrote that into the outline. I was like, okay, if this is released on February, whatever, that means the book was released when this this episode is released, but it was not out at the time of recording. Exactly. Which makes 100% sense. I just didn't realize it till I looked it up like, oh, it was released last January 30th? They're like, oh, it was already released? And then I was like, wait, we're not at January 30th yet. That was my bad. <laughs> Also, if anyone's wondering, it is called Come and Get It. I don't know that much about it. I know it has to do with university in Florida, I think, is where the characters are. So overall, do we want to talk about why we picked this book? I think we picked this book because, like most Februarys, we tried to pick a book by an African-American author. And this was a book that you had read and told me about, and you thought that it could be good for this type of discussion and so when we were planning the schedule for the fall I thought why not read this you had already read it Mm -hmm. I overall liked this book but I also had some kind of mixed feelings about it I think my overall opinion was I liked it but I think that there were some things that I didn't like within the book that we can get into a little bit later and I think it gave me a little bit of hesitancy about recommending this book but I hope that you enjoyed it I don't know what did you think I remember because you had when you came and visit, you had talked about it. And then later I was like, hey, do you want to do this book? And you're like, yes. And then the next day or something, you're like, maybe not. And then you came back and you eventually like, okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. I think I overall liked it. I did start it reading the physical copy. And then chapter nine-ish, I switched to audio just because school started again. I don't find myself picking up physical books as much because I think that takes a dedicated amount of time, like, hey, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read this, and that started to feel a little more like a chore, whereas with the audio, I could do it when I was cooking, when I was commuting. Sometimes when you're commuting, there's no room to sit on the train, and you're not going to read a book standing up. No. Yeah. 100% that makes sense. And I feel like also one thing that's nice about this book in particular is the audiobook is not super long. It's maybe like 10 hours. So I feel like it's a very approachable audiobook. And I feel like the story really lends itself to the audiobook format because it feels very fast paced. Yes. And we can circle back to this later once we go through a brief overview. But I do have a point that I noticed when I switched the audiobook. So to move things along, this book, there is Amira, who is... 25 turning 26 and she is trying to figure out what to do with her life uh she's currently babysitting for the chamberlain family and 
I think kind of familiar to what we've seen in the news a lot. There was an incident in a grocery store because Amira is African American and she was sent to a really ritzy kind of I don't know if it was like a boutique type of grocery store, but it sounded like a really fancy grocery store. I'm going to be honest with you. When I pictured the grocery store that she went to, I pictured either Whole Foods or what's the other one that starts with an E like Erwan or something. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Have you seen ads for this one? I have never heard of that. Hang on. I'm going to look this one up. Yeah. It's Erwan called E-R-E-W-H-O-N. It's supposed to be like an extremely expensive grocery store. Very bougie. Lots of organic things. Yeah, I figured it's interesting because I pictured it as more of a smaller place, but I don't know. I feel like just picture your bougie grocery store and you're good. Yeah, I think I pictured it as a little bit bigger. Sorry, this is like kind of not related and tangential. But I feel like I pictured it as bigger because she had to like walk around the aisles with Briar and like go and have things to stare at. And I don't know, I guess I pictured it as like a larger one because otherwise they wouldn't have very much space to wander. Okay, I think you have a fair point there, but definitely not like Costco sized. No, Costco sized would be way too big. Okay, so back to the plot. Um, While they're at the grocery store... Amira is basically accused of kidnapping Briar because Briar is a white child. And Amira was dressed for a night out with her friends because she was kind of called in on an emergency situation. And so that plays out like how you think it would play out. And then there's a guy named Kelly was recording it. There's this whole thing with Kelly in the recording. And also Kelly ties back into the Chamberlain family because of the mother's past. And the rest of the book basically deals with the fallout of this grocery store event and also Amira trying to get a job. Yes, I feel like it also goes a lot into her relationships with Alix, who is her employer, and Kelly, who eventually becomes her boyfriend. And I feel like it kind of focuses a lot on those relationships as well. And I don't know, I just think that the relationship dynamics there are very interesting but also not healthy in my opinion i don't know we can get into that later i would like to start with this if we're gonna move on because i think we did a pretty good general summary for forgetting to write it in the outline again um one thing i noticed is when i was reading it i was just reading it as alex with an i because alex is kind of full of herself and wanted to be special and so when i had switched to the audiobook and they were saying it Alix, and i noticed specifically it was the four of the sections that were from her perspective like this is a third person narrative but like different chapters would kind of focus on different characters but when the other characters called her a lot of times they would just say alex and so is this a thing that she just made up in her head to, like, be important? I think it's partially, like, a thing that she made up in her head to be important. But I think it's also partially something that she did after high school with the whole incident with Kelly, where she wanted to differentiate herself from her high school self and what she had done as her high school self. Because remember, like, after that whole incident with Kelly, she got, like, a lot of judgment and hate from her high school because everybody thought that she did what she did because she was racist. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, or if you need a recap, what happened is she liked Kelly, so she tried to find him over in all these notes, and so then there was this ano- there's another kid who I can't remember his name. I feel like you might have written it in our thing. Bobby, maybe? No. Was it Bobby? Robbie. Robbie. 
And Robbie and all his friends showed up. And the whole thing is that Alex is... I'm just going to call her Alex. I cannot say Alix with a straight face. That's okay. We can call her Alex. I feel like Alix is a little extra. <laughs> so the thing is, is that her parents basically got super rich because of circumstances I feel like aren't super important. But she was kind of referred to as new money rich. And so she lived in this mansion. It had a gate code, all of that. And so she invites Kelly over. And that night, Robbie and all his friends show up. Robbie is African-American. And Alex basically calls the cops because Robbie and his friends are partying in her house. And she doesn't want them there. Yeah, she was like, I didn't invite you. I pretty much only invited Kelly. Like, why are you all here? I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but if they won't leave... It's her house. She didn't invite them. Doesn't she have a right to kick them out? No, I agree with you on this opinion here. I think that it's like uh, she should be able to kick them out or they should be able like, I don't know. I can't recall if she asked them to leave. I think that should have been her first thing is like, can you please leave before she would call the cops? Just because I think that there should be some sensitivity to the situation. Sometimes the cops are not always going to have the best interest of who they're working with in mind so i think like the first option should always be ask the people to leave yourself but if you've done that and they're not leaving then i think calling the cops to get them out is a natural next step or like having somebody else try to get them out like if she had had kelly try to get them out maybe it would have gone over better i think the tricky part is kelly wanted them there because kelly was trying to They were the in crowd, and Kelly was trying to get in the in crowd. Yes. I can't remember. My physical book is in the other room. I think she might have, but she might have not asked them to leave first. I think, in general, you should just try to ask first, um, because then the whole thing can be de-escalated. But they were, like, climbing the house and, like, jumping in the pool and stuff. Like, they weren't just like, hey, I'm going to come over and sit on your couch and, like, eat some snacks and watch TV. No, no. Yeah, you're right that they were like doing some things that were maybe a little disruptive that I think that her parents would not have been appreciative of if they'd been home. And I will fully admit, she annoyed me to no end as a character. Yes. But I also don't think it was fair to blame her for what happened to Robbie. Because what happened to Robbie is basically they took away his scholarship. He couldn't go to that college. And there was all like, oh, so he had to go to community college for like two years first. And then I don't know what happened. But it's like, I think this is operating under my assumption that she had asked them to leave first. And then that didn't work. But like, if you're trespassing, the thing is too, is that Robbie had drugs on him. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was. And so I don't really know if it's Alex's fault. Yeah, I look at that and I think that in this case, provided that she'd like asked them to leave first and like had taken those appropriate steps before calling the cops, I don't think in this case it's necessarily her fault because they were trespassing on her property. She didn't invite them. Like if anything, it'd kind of be Kelly's fault for inviting them. You know what I mean? To a party that he like, it wasn't even supposed to be a party. It was supposed to be she and him and that was it. Yeah. And like, I just feel like Kelly was trying to twist it because he was saying all these things about how Alex lived on a former plantation and then the police arrested like an African-American male there. I just think that if you're trespassing, you're running the risk. Yeah. Yeah. I look at it and I had the same opinion that you did where it was like, I felt like he was trespassing. I felt like maybe there could have been more done beforehand to be like hey i need you to leave 
before taking that step to call the cops. But like, ultimately, if you're on somebody's property and you're not supposed to be there, like you're not asked to be there, I think that that's an issue. You know, it's like if I had somebody who I didn't know personally on like in my apartment, I'd probably be a little uncomfortable. Doesn't matter who you are. Like, I'd probably be uncomfortable. I think another thing to point out would be that these are all children. Yeah, maybe they're like 17, 18. And the fact that there was an adult there, I don't know if she was a nanny or the house taker, house person. I don't know what they're called, the people who take care of the house. But theoretically, too, is like that person should have done something. It shouldn't have been let up, left up to Alex. I agree. I think that that person should have definitely done something. I just think that there's certain things that if there is an adult there, the adult should deal with it. And I don't know, maybe it was a weird power dynamic because this person was employed by the parents. So like there might have been like a status issue where even though she was the adult, Alex's family was her employer. So she might have felt weird about it. Yeah, I think she might have felt weird about it because it'd be like uh what if Alex actually wanted them there and then I call the parents or I call the cops on these people and now my job is in jeopardy? I think that's kind of where it gets tricky. Or I think, honestly, as like a first step, Alex could have called her parents and been like, hey, this is going on. What do I do? But I think sometimes people aren't necessarily thinking in the moment because it's like you have a moment of panic and you're like, what do I do? Also, if you look at the relationship between Alex and her parents, that was not great either. So I don't really imagine her calling them for help in any situation no i don't either but yeah so i think that as characters both alex and kelly were not my favorite i think that they both had like these weird sort of constructs around race that were uncomfortable and i feel like the author did a very good job at showcasing those like for example alex wanted so desperately to be accepted and so desperately to be like i am not a racist because of her past with what happened in high school, that I feel like she was always trying to prove herself in some kind of way, which I feel like became kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, I think she was kind of an example of trying too hard because she would do all these things. Like, for example, after the grocery store incident, she was trying to all of a sudden be friends with Amira and like be like, I need to get to know you. Like, I need to like help you. Yeah, which I feel like is tough because it's like, it feels like it's just because of that grocery store incident. Yeah, because she wasn't like this before. She completely changed her MO of like, oh, I don't really care about who Amir is to all of a sudden being like, who are your friends? Do you have a boyfriend? Here, take this fancy bottle of wine to your going out tonight. Exactly. Yeah, so I feel like that was a little uncomfortable. I didn't really care for Alex as a character. I feel like she was just... I feel like she was always just trying to be the person who was quote unquote right or getting people to like her. I didn't like Kelly or Alex, but I also think that they were pretty well written characters. It's not that I didn't like them because they were like, what the heck are you doing? I don't understand your choices. It's just I didn't like them because I didn't like them as people. (laughs) I agree. Okay. I feel like that is, it takes a talented writer though to make you not like the characters but still want to keep reading and also to understand like, this is why I don't like the characters. So I feel like the author did a really good job in terms of character development. And I know I'm a plot girl. I get it. But 
in terms of character development, I think this was definitely one of the better written character developments that I have seen in any sort of novel recently. I guess I was wondering, is is this plot or is this character? I feel like it's mainly character because, yeah, there's the big event at the grocery store, but the rest of the book was just about characters as people and like their interactions with each other. I don't think that much actually happened. I guess so, but I feel like because of how the characters were written, it felt like there was always some sort of like tension of what's going to happen next because you as the reader kind of get the end that they're connected and then once you can put it all together and you realize how they're connected, you're like, oh no, oh my, what's going to happen? And it's like watching a car crash in slow motion. It's so wildly entertaining. So that's my two cents on that. I think you're right because at a certain point, I, as the reader, knew that the ex that Kelly was talking about was Alex, but like Amir didn't know and you're just waiting for this whole thing to come together and be like a giant hot mess. Yes. I think one thing I would like to talk about, because I think we both related to this, is how well this book encapsulates being like 25, 26 years old. Mainly, for me, it was the frequent mentions of having no health insurance once Amira had her 26th birthday. Yes. I feel like this is the perfect book to read in your 20s. Yeah. That is like, I will die on this hill. I think it's the perfect book to read in your 20s because it very much, it's not a core pillar of the book that she's in her 20s and trying to find her way. But at the same time, it's underwritten in almost everything that she talks about and everything that she does. So I guess it kind of is. But I think that it really, I think that it really touches on those struggles and those things that you're thinking about in your 20s that you wouldn't be thinking about like in your late teens or your early 20s. I think specifically, like I mentioned, the frequent mentions of health insurance, which I also realize is a very American thing to relate to. I'm pretty sure a international reader would not, it wouldn't hit the same way. Like I'm sure they know here that we lose our health insurance, but it's like, It hits differently when you've been through that scenario. And then also specifically, just the struggle of like the transition from like early to mid 20s and like you're trying to get a job because you need to provide for yourself for once. And I love there's a quote on page 50 that I wrote down where Amira didn't love doing anything, but she didn't terribly mind doing anything either. And I feel like that's how I felt at that age. Like I was not one of those people where like, I'm like, I have a calling. I need to do this profession. I was just kind of like, I know what I don't like doing, but I don't have like this thing that I want to do. Yes, I 100% agree. I feel like Amira did, her character did such a good job at encapsulating where it's like, I will get a job because I need to have money to live and some sort of routine in my life. And so therefore I will get a job. Yeah, which I think is kind of hard because when you're that age, you I think the way society presents this to us, especially like say when we're in high school or something, is that like everyone has a dream job and they have a calling and you're going to graduate and you're going to get it done. Because I feel like in reality, a lot of people don't. Most people just work because you have to work. Like that's just the reality of it. And some people with dream jobs, it never happens. Yeah. And I feel like also people with dream jobs, it's hard because it's like if you go and you do your dream job and it ends up not being everything that you thought it would be, it's like you've set this unrealistic expectation and then all of a sudden it's not what you thought it was. And I feel like that's just very difficult. I also feel like with jobs in your 20s, I kind of liked that she was a babysitter at this point in time in her life because I feel like it definitely shows that period of like transiency that a lot of people go through in their 20s where it's like, do I go to school? 
it's my first job. Like, I'm not making that much money. Like, I'm really trying to make ends meet. Or like, I'm between jobs. Because like, I can tell you that one time when I was in my mid-20s, like, I was essentially babysitting in addition to my part-time job as a teacher. Because I was part-time at that point in time. So I had to pick up like babysitting-esque gigs as well. I think this book also does a lot with, I think, kind of class issues and also just, I don't know how to phrase this eloquently, job shaming? Yes, because I feel like people would be like, oh, you do that? Oh, that's so great. Like, you know what I mean? Where people are like, they treat you a certain way because your job makes you a certain quote unquote status. I forget who it was but like some people in the book would like make comments about like oh like you're still babysitting at this age like Mm -hmm. when you're gonna go get a job which like hey people have kids people need childcare. somebody has to provide it i mean maybe in the future it'll be a robot but like not right now i look at it too and i'm like i think i don't know if this is just an american thing or if this is an everywhere thing i think it might be an everywhere thing but i could totally be wrong but i feel like As an American, one of the first things you ask somebody is like, what do you do for work? And then I feel like there's inherently a judgment that goes with that based on how much money they think you make from that occupation. I have no idea if this is true. I think I read somewhere once and it could have been a BuzzFeed thing back in the day, but it's like, I don't think it is an everywhere thing. I think different places have different things that they ask. Like, for example, in America... People are very touchy when you ask about salary because we've been conditioned to not talk about it as a way to keep salaries down. Mm-hmm. But other cultures, like, they'll just straight up ask you how much they, how much you make, and it's not considered rude. Yeah, but I feel like other places, people don't ask as much, like, what you do for work. Like, I feel like asking what you do for work in some other places is considered rude, especially as, like, a first line of questioning. Like, if it's within your first five minutes of meeting somebody, I feel like sometimes they're like, oh, that's a little rude. I don't know why you would have asked me that. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I think almost any time you meet somebody, I feel like specifically at like networking event type things or like if you're at a party and there's people there that like you don't know, but your friend knows and they're like, so hey, what are you doing? And I'm just like, who cares? Yeah, I feel like one thing I've, tried to be more conscious about is like if I can direct the conversation a different way first trying to do that to get to know them as a person because I feel like there are always those inherent judgments where it's like oh you do this you must not make very much money so therefore I feel like and it kind of depends on the person that you talk to but I feel like some people will automatically discount you if they know that you don't make a certain amount of money or they'll automatically be like wow if you tell them that you work at something like Microsoft or Google you know what I mean? People will be like, oh my gosh, what a sweet gig. How did you get that? You must be so smart. I think it's weird too, just how much, obviously you can only speak from the American perspective, but how much value we attach to salary versus like what the person is doing. You know what I mean? Like taking care of someone else's child is a very valid thing and you have to be good at it because you don't want something to happen to that kid. The parents don't want something to happen to that kid. But for some reason, People just think of it as like, oh, that's what people do when they can't get other jobs. Yes. And I think it also is like a respect thing. Like, for example, in America, I feel like if you were to tell someone that you were, say, for example, a teacher, they might be like, wow, that's so great. 
so good for you. But I feel like in the back of their mind, they're secretly kind of judging you. Mm. Just just my two cents. Or I think they're judging you more than they would if you had like a different profession. Or they make certain assumptions about you like, oh, you're so selfless because you work for so little and are taking care of children all day. You know what I mean? I feel like there are certain connotations that go with different jobs. And like a babysitter... My teachers are really not going to appreciate this, but like a babysitter in some ways is similar to a teacher in that you're dealing with young people all the time through very formative periods of their life. It's an important job. Like teaching is also an important job because you're, in addition to doing that, you're also teaching them things. But I think that babysitters can also teach kids things. Like you never know. For some people, like the babysitter might see their first steps. Like who knows? So it's through very formative periods in their life. And I think to discount that is damaging. I also think it's interesting if you think about the types of professions that typically get this reaction and how much we actually rely on the people who perform those. Do you know what makes me kind of upset? I'm going to go on my soapbox for a minute. But I think that what makes me upset is most of the jobs that would get this reaction like, oh, so selfless or oh, why are you still doing that, are primarily women-dominated professions. I think that that's what kind of gets my goat about this, is that I feel like a lot of the times, in my personal experience, not saying that this is everywhere, not saying that this is everyone, but I think a lot of jobs that would get this reaction are women-dominated professions, and it really just grinds my gears because it's the whole pink-collar thing and devaluing women's work comparatively in the workforce and it bothers me. I think to your point is that a lot of those professions I feel like can be classified under like the caring umbrella. Mm-hmm. You could say certain things about why more women end up there, but it does seem to be very women-dominated areas. So talking about professions is there's a point in the book, it is in part two, where Amir talks about Things that Kelly does that annoy her or something, but she doesn't actually speak up about anything. But how he refers to himself as working class. I feel like the description is kind of funny because they say, she says, Kelly works in an office with plush headphones on and there's unlimited cereal and LaCroix on page 88. And for some reason, like, that's how she defines, like, you're not working class because you have plush headphones and LaCroix water. Okay, but is she wrong, though? If my office offered unlimited cereal and LaCroix, which it does not, would I consider myself working class still? It's kind of like, you know how a lot of those tech companies would offer, like, free meals? And it's like, you can just come into the office and we'll make you food and we'll do all of this other stuff for you. Like, I envision this as the equivalent of someone who works for, like, a Google or a Microsoft being like, I'm working class. Yeah, I don't think he's working class, but... I feel like in my head, I was like, oh, it's because he goes to an office and does blah, 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 blah. I just like what she used as the benchmarks. I do agree. I think that those are great benchmarks. And I think it also shows like how your benchmarks would change based upon where you're at in society, right? Like Kelly might consider himself working class because he's like, I have to go in for a nine to five. Like I make enough to pay my bills and I'm going to say and probably then some like some vacations here and there. But he would consider himself working class because he's not somebody who gets to sit at home and not work. Yeah, I think it is a lot about perspective. And so I think for a lot of people, your perspective changes depending on where you are on that scale. I almost wonder 
if it would make people who are, I don't know, millionaires who don't necessarily have to do, quote unquote, the same nine to five work as a lot of us do, if they would consider themselves working class because they're like, oh, yeah, I still have to go to a couple business meetings or, oh, yeah, I worked hard for my money in the past and now it just accrues the interest. So I'm working class because I worked for that money at one point in my life. I guess it's part of the tricky part about these types of labels, right? Is that each person is defining it differently? Mm-hmm. Because like you're saying, is like I'm pretty sure based on the conditions of the book is like Kelly does need to work. He has an apartment. He needs to pay for the groceries at the bougie grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it depends on like the situation you're in as to what's working class and like those class divides. Also, I'm going to add another thing that makes me feel like Kelly's not working class and he's more like upper class. The fact that they met when they were in that bougie supermarket. If you're working class, you're not shopping at a bougie supermarket like that. Yeah. Similarly to like a class thing, when Alex got... Now, I don't know how true the whole story is because it was one that was shared from Kelly's perspective about how when Alex got on the plane and she just left the luggage there because she thought the like cabin crew was going to put it away because she had like traveled first class and that's what they do and how she's just like out of touch with reality. Yeah. And this is, I feel like this is also kind of where that perspective comes in where Kelly's like, I'm working class because... I don't do that. Like, that was something that Alex did, but I don't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do wonder, do you think that's a thing that people do? Like, I don't think I've ever seen somebody do that in my life. Well, I've never flown first class in my life. So once I do, I will get back to you. So afterwards, there was, in the book, there was this whole fight with Kelly and Alex and Amira about Amira working for Alex. What did you think of that whole situation? It seems like Alex and Kelly were almost having, like, this little proxy war about their own issues, but, like, framing it as, should Amira work for Alex? Like, Kelly's saying, no, you shouldn't work for Alex because she's racist, and then Alex is saying, you shouldn't work for Kelly because of what he did to me, but I feel like none of their points actually had to do with Amira. Oh, 100% they didn't. Alex was like, don't be in a relationship with Kelly because of what he did to me, and Kelly was like, don't work for her because she's racist. But I feel like it didn't have to do with Amira. It had to do with their own issues. And I also feel like one of the things that bothered me about this was Kelly saying that, like, Amira didn't have to work for Alex. I was like, again, I feel like this showed that he was out of touch because I was like, no, she literally needs a job to have money to support herself. I was like, I don't think you understand her situation. At the beginning of the book, she said that she had like $16 left in her bank account or something. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think he understands. And that really bothers me. I had a point to that point. But then people were walking outside the window. And I got distracted and I lost the point. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, to jog your memory, we were talking about Kelly being out of touch because he wanted her to quit her job. But like financially, that wouldn't be a good move for Amira. Oh, that reminds me of how at the end of the book, when Amira actually did quit her job and her friend's like, you need to get out of here. We can have a whole discussion about why in a second. But her friend is like, you have to get out of this job right now. Like, You need to quit today right now. And then Amira's like, 
I can't. I need a job. And then the friend helps her. Because she had this, like, kind of soft offer, and the friend helps her, like, get it solidified. But I think that issue came up again when Amir's like, I can't just quit on the spot. Like, I need an income. I need to pay rent. I need all sorts of, like, things to keep myself alive. Yeah. I think it would be good to discuss how Amira left working for Alex. How did she handle that situation? Do you like how she handled that situation? I feel like I have thoughts. Where she roasted her on air? Yeah. I think that while I understand why she did that, I don't think I personally would have done that. But I think that that's also because I'm a non-confrontational person. Um, I think it was also very intentionally done because she said the same line to her that Kelly had said to her when they broke up, right? Yeah. I feel like that was very bold. I don't think I would have handled it that way, but also I cannot fault her for handling it that way because Alex did kind of go and post that video that she shouldn't have posted. She had no right to. Yeah. uh, Can we talk about how she like broke into her email and posted this? Because I feel like there are all sorts of like, I don't know, but I feel like there should be all sorts of crimes related to that. Oh, 100%. Like, I feel like there probably are. Like, I feel like that's an invasion of privacy. Not to mention, I feel like that goes against all of the things that Alex that Alex that Alex was working towards with Amira before because before she was like oh my gosh I want to be your friend I want to be your friend and I think it was partially like she wanted to help her but also partially I feel like this move was very very selfish like to me it felt more selfish than helping her but I feel like that's also because we know that Amira was explicitly like I do not want this video to be released well when Alex and her friend were talking about how like oh no Amira does want this she just says that she doesn't because I think it was a friend who's doing this whole story about like the soccer team back in high school and the girl said don't say anything. But like, I don't think it's someone else's decision if something happens to you. Like even if the other person's like, I think you should report this or I think you should share this video. If the person who it actually happens to says no, I feel like that's that's the end of the road. Like, sorry. I agree. I think that's like end of story case closed. Like, what do you mean? Like, we would still go and post this like, To me, that just feels very selfish. It feels wrong. And I think that that was the wrong thing to do. I think it's also a little naive because they're not aware of the backlash that could happen to Amira because of this. Like there were comments that like were not good. And like, I feel like it's Amira's right to decide if she wants to deal with those types of comments by posting it. And if she doesn't, then you don't post it. Yeah, I just think that if it's somebody else's experience... It's their right to use that experience how they see fit. Or if they choose to tell someone about that experience or not to, I think that that's their own personal right. And I don't think it's the right of anybody else. So circling back to the news interview, I agree. I probably wouldn't have confronted Alex on live air, but also I didn't really mind that part that much. But oh my gosh, the scene that the friend caused at the end of the interview so that Amira had time to like say goodbye to Briar. That part was wild. That part I feel like was kind of over the top. I don't remember what happened in that part. She just started like doing all these things. She was like swearing. She's basically causing a scene, I think. So like, oh, yes, I do remember that where her friend walked in. She was like, like, and she was just like doing all these crazy things. I do remember that. I feel like also, to me, that made me like Amira more as a person because, like, you could tell that she so genuinely cared about Briar. You know what I mean? Like, she was 
in that job for the right reasons, and that was to take care of Briar and make sure that, like, she was good and she was fine. Also, this is, like, side note, but I feel like Alex was just a poor mom to Briar. Like, she didn't know anything about her old her own child. She liked the baby. Not sure why she liked the baby so much. Even Briar said, like, I don't like when baby C is the favorite. She was already starting to notice things. So I did kind of love at the end when Amir was like, okay, Briar may not notice anything now, but you need to act like you like her sometimes before she gets old enough to notice and it messes her up. Yes, I feel like Amira was generally like a good character because she would go and say all of the things that were going on that nobody else wanted to discuss. Yeah. So overall thoughts on this book, would you recommend it? If so, who to? Or to whom, I suppose? I think I would recommend it. I don't know of any like particular category. I do think it just has to be somebody who is ready and willing to read about these types of issues because I feel like sometimes people are in a place where they don't want to address heavier things which is completely fine because we all have like different busy seasons and what we can handle is different at different times so I think just just be mindful of your headspace when you're reading it but I think it was a good book I agree I think same thing that you've said I think I would also recommend it to people in their mid-20s or people in their 20s in general I think that that's I feel like if you're in that age demographic, you will relate to Amira a lot and like the struggles that she's going through. Yeah. Thank you for reading with us. Our next book club is Pockets, An Intimate History of How We Keep Things Close by Hannah Carlson, and that will be dropping on March 4th. We hope you enjoyed our February book club discussion on Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the book. You can send us an email to zillennialspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at zillennialspodcast. And don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you're listening. 